So, uh, Ruth, uh, chapters 1 and 2, hear now the word of our Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons, and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why will you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Ruth had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go gleaning in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. 
May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, um, I went back to Eastern Kentucky and I took some of you all with me and, uh, and it was great to be home. Um, I always feel um, especially home when I see, I don't know, the mountains I grew up with. And um, I've always sort of called myself, referred to myself as an adopted Appalachian. And what I mean by that is I've lived in Appalachia my, my entire life. Um, uh, uh, I, I would tell people that the hills are in my blood, except that I can't answer one simple question that every Appalachian has to be able to answer. Who are you kin to? <laughs> right? That's the question you get asked first. I was once asked it in a job interview. Who are you kin to? Who do you belong to? Who's your daddy? Who's your mama? Who's your papa? See, my dad was a, uh, a Methodist pastor, and we moved around a little bit, and, and you never found the name Nettleton on any of the tombstones, right? And so I could never really adequately answer that question, who are you kin to? Now, as important as the concept of kinship is in Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky and, 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 and here and, and, and the Blue Ridge uh, region of Virginia, it's even more important in Israelite society. In Israelite society, kinship is everything. Family is destiny. See, we live uh, in a very different society. We live in a society where uh, if you fall on hard times, you can, uh, you can uh, rely on the state to take care of you, right? And, and we debate back and forth how much and, and, and who should and, and all that stuff. But, but it's the basic contract that, that if you fall on hard times, the state's going to take care of you. And if you need punishing, uh, if, if you've transgressed in some way, then the state's going to take care of you, right? In both senses. In ancient Israel, it was your family's job to take care of you, and it was your family's job to take care of you, right? Both senses, right? It was your family's job. If you fell on hard times and, and you couldn't provide for yourself and you couldn't provide for your children, it was someone in your family's job to come through and do that for you. And uh, if you're being a little rebellious, if you were doing things you shouldn't do, then it was your family's job to take care of you, right? If, 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 if your daddy was too soft to do it, then it, then it would come down to some other uncle or some other member of the family. See, kinship was everything. And this right here is your identity, your address, this slide right here. See, in the center of it all is this thing called the Bet-Ab. That's uh, Hebrew for father's household. Your father's household is the center of your entire life, the center of your identity. Outside of that, 
is the clan. All households belong to a larger clan, a larger family. And then just outside of that is your tribe. The clans make up a tribe. And then just outside of that is a nation. I don't mean nation like, uh, like we think of it as a state with fixed borders, but as a people, tribes that, that, that cling together, right? Like, uh, like um, uh, Native Americans today can tell you um, uh, what their clan is, what their tribe is, and what their nation is, right? They might be from the, the, uh, the Patego clan, uh, a, a, a part of uh, uh, some, uh, some tribe, and then part of the Cherokee nation, right? This is your address. See, today we're very individualistic, right? We think of our identity in terms of like um, uh, what we like and don't like, uh, what we've done in life, what we've accomplished, um, uh, how we feel in our innermost self, all those sort of things sort of make up our identity. In ancient Israel, this made up your identity, who you belong to. Now, here's the problem. What if you don't fit in the circle? What if you fall on the corners somewhere? What if you can't answer the question, who are you kin to? So you'll notice if you read the Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament laws, that, uh, that, that the Old Testament has, has special care and special laws and special protection for three groups of people. Orphans, widows, and strangers or foreigners in the land. And the reason's obvious. These are the three groups of people that all fall outside the circle. If you're an orphan, you don't have a father's house, you don't have a clan, you don't have a tribe and a nation. If you're, if you're a widow, same thing. If you're a stranger from out of town, you don't have people to protect you and provide for you and take care of you. And so there are special laws in Israel for those groups of people to, uh, uh, so that the whole nation will treat them like kin. Because you're especially vulnerable if you fall outside the circle. Now, that's the Cliff Notes version of what we talked about last Monday night. Right? And if you want to go deeper into it, I invite you to Bible study. Uh, where it's a great study. But what you need to understand about Ruth this morning is she was all three. She was an orphan, a widow, and a stranger. Right? At the very beginning of the story, she has an identity. Right? Uh, she uh, is, is in the household of Elimelech, uh, the clan of Elimelech. And all that is taken away from her. Her father dies, and her husband dies. And her brother-in-law dies, so there's no one to, you know, sort of sweep her up and keep her in the family. Suddenly, she's without a circle. And then she goes to Bethlehem, where she is uh, in Judah, where, 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 where she is without a nation. She is, she is an outsider. And worse yet, she's a Moabite. A Moabite is, you know, those... those trashy inbred hicks from the other side of the Jordan River, 
right? Moab, Moab and Israel were ancient enemies, right? They didn't get along, and the Israelites, frankly, looked down on the Moabites because they were still doing that nomadic thing, right? They were still considered, you know, uh, the, the sort of stereotype of a Moabite was an inbred goat herder, right? In fact, there's a story in, 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 in the book of Genesis where, uh, where um, uh, uh, Moab, the father of all Moabites everywhere, was born out of an incestuous union with Lot and one of his daughters. Now, good people can disagree about whether we should take that story absolutely literally or not. But I would advise against telling it around any Moabite campfires, right? Unless you want to leave with a mouthful of teeth. The point is, Ruth falls totally outside of the circle. And she's going to a place where, where, uh, where, where, where it's no one's job to take care of her and where she's going to be looked down on and despised. But God creates for Ruth a new circle. One not based on blood and, and kinship, but based on love and loyalty. Naomi tries to warn Ruth off, doesn't she? Says, look, I can't give you anything. There is no glue to, to, to hold you to me. I have no sons to offer you to, 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 to make you kin. You're better off just, uh, just going back to your mother's household and, and hoping she'll take care of you. I can't give you anything. Orpah gets wise. Ruth says no. It says she clings to Naomi. She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth says, I choose you. I don't care that there's no blood bonding us. I, I, care to, I don't care that we no longer have any kinship ties. I don't even really care that we don't worship the same God. I will change all of that for you. I love you and I am going with you. God provides Ruth a new circle. Because Ruth chooses Naomi and then Boaz chooses Ruth, right? Ruth's out there working in the field, and, uh, and Boaz says, who is that? Now, Boaz is the kind of guy that knows exactly where he falls in the circle, right? He's from the house of Boaz, the clan of Elimelech, right? He knows where he is, tribe of Judah, nation of Israel. He knows everyone working in his fields, and he doesn't recognize Ruth, and he says, he doesn't say, who is that? individual says who does she belong to in other words who's her kin who is she and the foreman says nobody some Moabite that came with Naomi she doesn't have any glue that holds her here then Boaz decides to make Ruth kin. Boaz decides to treat Ruth as kin. This isn't a love story yet, right? This is just about a guy who's, who's doing a good thing. 
He says to, he says to Ruth, my daughter, right? My kin, the one who, I, who is under my protection. Take what you want. Work with the women in my house. Take what belongs to them. Eat from my table. You are under my protection. I will take care of you. God provides a new circle of kinship where there was none before. One based on love and loyalty. So there's a story about Jesus. I can't wait to see how the chosen handles this one because this one's crazy. All right. So apparently Jesus is making a big name for himself. He's preaching everywhere. He's calling himself the Messiah. Uh, people are starting to notice. And some people, th this part is in brackets, right? We don't know that this, is, this happened, but this is what happened. All right. Some people come to his brothers and his family and say, you need to take care of him. Right? He's out there making a fool of himself. People think he's crazy. You need to bring him home and talk some sense into him. And so the brothers say, all right, we'll do it. Let's do it. And so uh, they show up where Jesus is, is teaching. And he's got a whole crowd of people around them. Uh, they're spilling out into the streets. And his brothers show up at the door and they say, hey, we're here to take, take Jesus home. Now, some people come to Jesus. He's in the middle of teaching. They say, hey, Jesus... Your brothers are at the door. They have authority over you. They're here to take care of you, right? You need to go with them. And Jesus has the audacity to say, Brothers? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Who's my mother? Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. See, we don't understand all the drama that's going on there because we, we've forgotten about this kinship circle thing. But what Jesus is essentially saying is, those people have no power over me and no authority over me. I'm not here to, to, to reinforce blood kinship. I'm here to start a new family based on me, centered around me, based on my heavenly father. That is the true father's household. See, Jesus creates a kinship circle where there was no kinship circle before. So my problem this week was we had a baptism to do, and I already committed to doing roof, and I thought, gosh, well, this isn't really a very good baptism you know, passage. But then the more I thought about it, I thought about how, how in baptism, in the waters of baptism, a new spiritual family is created. And what I tell everyone before they're baptized, those ones that were baptized at, at the river, or, or, or uh, um, uh, uh, what I was telling uh, Haley and Carrie, uh, uh, Corey and, and Haley, Hallie. <laughs> Sorry, when I get going, I just blew up. What I was telling them is that when you get baptized, when you, when you become part of the church, you become part of a spiritual family. A kinship not based on, on, on blood, but based on Jesus. Based on the Heavenly Father. 
when, 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 when Vega comes out of the waters of baptism, she'll be able to call each and every person in here her brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, some of us come to this new spiritual family, what I like to call the kingdom of God. Some of us call, come to the kingdom of God like Ruth, right? We, we come from broken circles. I think this is kind of where, uh, where Crystal's Bible study and my Bible study meet, right? Some of us come from these broken circles, right? These circles that don't take care of us the way we're supposed to be taken care of. And we come to our new spiritual families and we need that nurture that, that we can't get at home. Some of us are like Boaz and we come to our new spiritual family with plenty of love to give. And it's our job to sort of take the roofs under our wings, and to provide them with the love and nurture that they can't get outside of the church. Each of us has a role in the kingdom of God. Now, we've got a new tradition that we've been doing for, uh, for, for the last couple of times that we've made people members of the church and we've baptized uh, uh, people. Um, we've been presenting them with a lay, right? The Hawaiian symbol of welcome. And, um, and there's a reason for that. And it goes back to an important um, uh, 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 theological um, uh, 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 work called Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> Anyone ever seen Lilo and Stitch? All right, good. I was, I was worried it was just going to be me. All right. So Lilo and Stitch is a classic Ruth and Boaz story right? Uh, 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 Stitch is from out of town. He's actually from off the planet, right? He is a fugitive uh, um, uh, who, who has, has a, a history uh, of, of messing things up and making a mess wherever he goes. He's on the run from these intergalactic police, and he crash lands in Hawaii. And, uh, and, and Lilo, this little Hawaiian girl, uh, takes Stitch into her family and, and, and makes Stitch uh, her ugly dog, right? Now, Stitch doesn't know how to act. He's constantly creating trouble wherever he goes. He's, he's constantly wrecking things and messing things up and, and pushing Lilo away no matter uh, how tightly she tries to hug him. One night, they have an important conversation. See, uh, Lilo, uh, uh, Stitch has knocked over a picture of uh, Lilo and, and, uh, and her sister and their parents, and, and, and she's looking at it, and she tells Stitch, I know what it's like to lose someone. My parents are no longer living. And I know you know what it's like to lose someone too, and that's why you wreck things and why you push people away. She says, our family is little now, but you can be a part of it if you want to. We don't have many toys, but you can be our baby and we'll raise you to be good. And she says, Ohana means family. And family means no one gets left behind forgotten. That's 
the good news, church. That's the gospel, church. That in the kingdom of God, no one gets left behind or forgotten. There's no one outside of the circle. There's no one on the corners. Everyone needs to be drawn in to God's family. Now, there's another reason for delays. I want some of you to get jealous. I want some of you to be looking at people getting their lays and thinking, I want a lay. What do I have to do to get a lay? Right? Because for pastors, sometimes it's hard to bring up the conversation, do you want to be a member of the church, right? And it's sort of like asking a girl to prom. And, uh, and so, you know, sometimes we just kind of be around the bush or say, hey, well, if she wants to go with me, she'll ask, right? Um, so, uh, so, so, so I want you to see the lays and get excited and, 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 and come tell me you want to be part of the church, right? I'm manipulating you. So let me make the pitch outright. We're a little church. We don't have a lot of fancy toys, laser lights, fog machines, that kind of thing. But if you want to, you can be our sister and our brother. And we'll raise you to be good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.